That's one of the most macabre readings you're going to have in all the Bible. It's actually kind of hard to read. And I know it's got to be hard to listen. But it's reading alongside the reading of the epistle from Paul gives us an extraordinary opportunity to contemplate the differences between Jesus's relationship with his father that we are called to join in as family members and Herod Antipas's relationship with his family. Now, some of us come from families where we've felt secure, felt loved, and even those of us who have, even those of us who have enjoyed that, and I have, look back and have some things that we regret about our family life, things that we wish weren't there. But some of us have grown up in families that are not that different from Herod Antipas's, where you're just a tool, where you're not really cared for. And today's convergence of passages is a wonderful opportunity for us to see that despite whatever our family of origin is, there is a family of destiny that is wonderful, glorious, caring. Okay, so a little background music. Herod Antipas fancies himself king. Now, the real king had been his father, Herod the Great. And what happened at, well, I'm sorry, we'll get to that later. You remember Herod the Great, he was the one who tried to assassinate baby Jesus, right? But beyond that, he also successfully assassinated a wife and two sons out of insecurity because he wanted to secure his earthly reign. His surviving children are no less ruthless, no less insecure. All they have to live for is this life, and they will remove every obstacle to their perceived happiness. The rivalry, therefore, among Herod the Great's progeny is ugly. Herodias, Herod Antipas's wife, is daughter of Aristobulus, one, another one of Herod the Great's sons. She has married Philip, yet another of Herod the Great's sons, only to divorce Philip so she can marry Herod Antipas. The family of the Herods is one hot mess. And for pointing this fact out, John the Baptist, his reward is to be arrested and eventually beheaded. Here's a family whose portion in this life is simply this world. All that drama gets thrown into relief by the fact that Mark has just told us about the baptism of Jesus Christ by his heavenly Father. We get great perspective on who he is and what a solid family relationship is by his baptism. For at Jesus' baptism, he is anointed prophet, priest, and king of the nation of Israel on behalf of the world. 
He's not manipulated his way into office. He's trusted his loving father. And he receives words of approbation and love from his heavenly father at his baptism. He's not insecure in the knowledge of who he is. He knows he is loved. And he knows the power that has come into his life. The baptism of Jesus becomes a sign for us of the beginning of the mighty works of God through Jesus Christ for our redemption and a model of how to find our portion in this life in the love of our Heavenly Father who says to us exactly what the Father said to Jesus according to Luke. Beloved, with you I am well pleased. You, you and I, we're invited to be a part of a different family. One not characterized by rivalry, battles over the estate, competition for daddy's affection. Not characterized by insecurity about whether you're accepted or not. Here is a family the mutual affection among its original members, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is so great that it simply cannot be expanded to, to include others, the likes of you and me, especially those from families where, they've been, where we've been used and abused. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, Paul prays through 12 verses of one sentence in Greek. He, just, he can't find a period. He just has to keep going because he's so enamored with God's great love for us and what it is for us to be adopted into this forever wonderful, glorious family. And of all the things that could be commented on in these verses, I'm going to isolate four. And if you care to, to if you care to check, um, check the text, um, if you're not in the habit of bringing your own Bible, or if you happen to forget yours, we have pew Bibles, and we're on page 148 of the New Testament section. So you're free to look there, or you're, you're welcome to just listen along and take it in and check it out later. Page 148 in the New Testament portion of the Pew Bible. Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 4. And the four things. In this family, in this family, you have the right to say, no matter what anybody else says or thinks, I have been chosen, I have been loved, I am forgiven, and I have been sealed. So first, in this family, you have the right to say, no matter what anybody else says about me or thinks about me, I am chosen. Ephesians 1 verse 4, just as he, the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, 
just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. In Herod's family, your very existence can be a threat. So you can be eliminated or set aside. Now, Herod was half Jewish, so in his family you would practice kosher. So it was safe to be a pig, right? Because you were not ever going to become bacon. So a Roman historian said of Herod the Great's family, remember he killed a wife and two sons. He said of Herod the Great's family, in Herod's house, it would be better to be a pig than to be a son. Unfortunately, some of us grow up feeling that way. I'd be better off in this family if I were the dog than to be the daughter or son. Because the dog gets treated better than I do. But in this family, in this family, it's different. God knew your name and picked you to be on his team, so to speak, before you were a gleam in your daddy's eye and a warmth in your mother's womb. Praise be. Second, in this family, you have the right to say, no matter what anybody says about me or thinks about me, I am loved. I'm loved. Ephesians 1 verse 4, again, just as he chose us, dot, 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 in love, in love. In Herod's family, you will be used, not loved. And unfortunately, that comes too close for comfort for many. Today's story, in fact, pivots on an incestuous and adulterous mother. Remember, she's the granddaughter of another son of Herod the Great. She's using her daughter to try to cover her sin. She convinces her daughter, and Josephus gives her her name as Salome. She has convinced her daughter to do a dance. And let's just say if a video were to survive of that dance, it would be NSFW, not safe for work. In Herod's family, you're used, not loved. In God's family, your purity, your beauty, your honor are valued because you are cared for. You are loved for you. In this family, in order to get your father to love you, you don't have to be the dancing queen or the scholarship winning soccer player or the kid with the best grades in your class. In this family, to be loved, you just have to be you. Praise be. Third, in this family, you have the right to say, no matter what anybody else says or thinks, I have been forgiven. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's really a lovely thing that next to this macabre account of the beheading of John the Baptist, the, the architects of the lectionary have placed this account of Paul's prayer acknowledging the wonder of what we have received. Because what happens as we move between these passages, we move from, in Mark, blood demanded, to in Ephesians, blood freely given. There's actually a wordplay in the, in the, in the uh, juxtaposition of these two paragraphs because in what, the, what Mark says is John's head is taken off. It's apokephalio, from the head, off with his head, basically. What happens in Ephesians is that Paul says, Jesus, by virtue of giving up his blood for us, is made, is made to head up all of creation. He is anakephali, off with his head, he heads up all creation. John the Baptist's death brings disgrace to Herod Antipas. His sin will always be remembered and his name said only in shame. Christ's death brings grace to us for our sins are removed from God's remembrance and our names are said in heaven's courts only in honor. And if I have one prayer for you, if I have one prayer, it is that you know that because of the precious blood of Jesus, when your name is said in the courts of heaven, now and forever, it is said in honor. Praise be. Fourth, in this family, you have the right to say, no matter what anybody else says or thinks about me, I, by my baptism, have been sealed with the promise of an everlasting heritage, inheritance. The last part of verse 13, the first part of verse 14 says, you were marked as far back as we know, there was the marking at a baptism with anointing oil, like the Holy Spirit that came down upon Jesus. You were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge, God's pledge, of our inheritance. You see, in Herod's family, there's the empty promise of up to half of my kingdom. Well, Herod Antipas wasn't a king anyway. When Mark calls him King Herod, he's got tongue firmly in cheek. There was no, there was no, there were no punctuation marks in New Testament times in the Greek. But if there had been, King Herod would have been in quotes because he was a tetrarch, not a king. Herod's kingdom got divided into fourths upon his death, and it was divided among, up among his sons, and then they began to squabble. Each was called a tetrarch because they were rulers of a fourth of his former kingdom. Antipas wanted to be a king, 
And his aspiration to be king eventually cost him everything. A few years after this, in the, mid, in the late 30s, the aggrieved father of the wife he divorced so he could marry Herodias defeated him in war. Antipas is banished. An empty promise is all he ever had to offer. How many of us grew up with empty promises? If you do this, I will do that. And no matter how hard you work to do the this, the bar just kept getting raised. The finish line kept moving further out. And there was never a that in answer to your this. Empty promises. Not so. Not so, friends, with your heavenly father. In the waters that flow from the font of baptism. And it is wonderful and glorious that every week as we gather, we meet in the presence of the font of baptism. Always there as a visible reminder. And Lord willing, soon we'll be able to put water back in the little baptism fonts at the, at the entrances and exits of the church because so many of us love to remind ourselves of the wonder of, of what it is to be baptized. In the waters that flow from the font of baptism, there is a seal and a promise, God's promise to us that's even more fundamental and more profound and more real than our pledge our pledge of allegiance and our pledge of faithfulness. There's God's pledge to us of an everlasting inheritance. There's a promise and a seal of a forever place in our Father's heart. There is a seal and a promise in the waters that flow from baptism of our place, our place of welcome at the table with all the saints with our elder brother, Jesus, at its head. And flowing from the waters of the baptismal font, there is the onboard presence of the spirit of wisdom and counsel always in our hearts. So, friends, beloved in Christ, whatever the feel of your family of origin May you know this as the feel of your family of destiny. Here you have the right to say, I am chosen, I am loved, I am forgiven, and I am sealed. Amen.